You're listening to the Not Your Grandmother's Book Club podcast, where we read them so you don't have to. Like the show? Become a patron at patreon.com forward slash nygbc. You should write a book, Fry. People need to know about the can eat more. getting this book on UFOs. Did you know they're real? But there's a huge comic conspiracy to cover it up. Oh, that's just a paranoid fantasy. I want to be a book that you can pick me up, flip through my pages, make sure nobody drew wieners in me. Grandmother's Book Club podcast, where we read them so you don't have to. Because if we solve the riddle hidden inside of them, we can find the national treasure. My name is Kevin, and I'm joined as always by my co-host Benedict, a man who drinks only pure grain alcohol, distilled rainwater, and diet ocean spray cran grape juice. Benedict, if you needed to hide a body and there were no limitations... Limit, limitations? limitations. That's the word I. Yeah, sure, we'll go with that. On uh, you know, say availability, you know, access to the space you're thinking of, or help you might need. Where would you hide the body? And I'm not asking for brainstorming purposes. Okay. I mean, I am not the Catholic Church if, in the 19th century. If you're century. saying no limitations, I feel or 20th. I, sure. <laughs> Um, if you're saying no limitations, I feel like the answer is space. Just launch the motherfucker into space. <laughs> like. Just get get yourself a yeah. rocket and set it. I mean, that would be convenient. Yeah. I mean, I was going to go with something like uh, in a list of clear evidence proving Donald Trump's malfeasance while I'm handing it to a Republican. <laughs> um, but uh, more realistic, I think. Give me something a little more realistic uh, than that. Not something I ever thought about, to be honest. Um, oh bullshit bullshit we have all like 20 fucking comedians have jokes about i've thought about where to hide a body because that resonates because we've all thought yeah that's the place i would hide a body if i ever needed to hide a body we've all thought about it at least once i feel like just like any new york city basement because it would be devoured by rats (laughs) so quickly that it would just like never no one would ever find it until uh csi is recording in the area yeah (laughs) um what about what about you where would you hide a body i've always thought the mobsters had it right right own a concrete company it's all you need to do own a concrete concrete. company put it put it in the foundations they're new york city foundations i'm sure are just full of bodies i was right i was right but in the wrong way (laughs) you meant on top of the concrete i I meant underneath that's right or just like at the bottom of the ocean is that obvious that like that's the those are the yeah, a couple ones. of cinder blocks. Yeah. Look, we'll we'll brainstorm this. We'll write a book about sure. it. Where to hide a body? It'll be available on international Amazon. International bestseller, uh, self-published, next week. self-published international bestseller. <laughs> wow, the Saudis bought a lot of these. This is why are we having a lot sent to Riyadh? It's weird. I don't know what's going right. on here. But anyways, Benedict, this is of course the show. Well, you may know. I should say mm. up front, you probably know. But some of the listeners, new new folks coming along to hear the show, they may not know exactly what it is we do here. So, of course, this is the show where we dig down deep, 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 deep into the cave of sorrows, seeking the lustrous, 
dragon guarded treasure <laughs> of right wing thought. Joe? Is it treasure? I don't know. Definitely not. Definitely not. Not quite treasure. But Benedict, why don't you get us start us off this what well, you know, I can't talk today. I have mentioned on Twitter and on, you know, the little blurb I put out last week that I'm moving right now. I'm still all scrambled up because of all that. Uh so that's my excuse for all of my misstatements on this week's show. Sure. Benedict, do you have a hot take to start I do. us off this week? And it's actually, a, it's a labor-related hot take. Oh, nice. And, and it is the fact that I think everybody should just get a week off in July. Because it's been a rough year, Kevin. And like, mm-hmm. what do companies really do in July? Everyone's going on vacation anyway. Mm-hmm. Does the economy really need to exist in the second week of July? I don't think so. I don't think Benedict, so. You, were, you heard it here. Benedict wants to cancel the economy. Yeah, that's right. I want to cancel the economy, but specifically for the second week of July. Or even like the first week of July. Just the week of the 4th of July. Everyone's already taking the Monday off anyway. Uh-huh. Yep. So just give everyone the rest of the week off. And then everyone will come back so refreshed. And it'll be so nice. And then we can go back to our crazy American work schedules. Oh, so and... fucking British of you. Yeah. It's so fucking well, British of you. Yeah. I mean, the, the British answer is to get, give everyone the whole of August off. That's like, that's you the European approach. Bank holiday and all this shit. Yeah. Whatever the hell that I is. Mean, it's just a federal holiday. <laughs> I've de- by the way, I've been wanting to ask you forever. What the fuck even is a bank holiday? It's a holiday. Are you celebrating banks? No, it's are just... banks closed? What yeah. the fuck is it? That's where it comes from. It's just it's like a holiday that's so serious that even the banks are closed. <laughs> so, okay, but what what is it about? It's just what name, is it about? Nothing. I mean, we don't name our holidays after our heroes because we're not weird. <laughs> Um, okay, but here's my what? It's just a ra- is it a random day? No, is it so the same day every year? What yeah, is yeah, the so bank it, holiday? Exactly. So, but it's like the federal holidays here. So it's like Martin Luther King Day, but without the without the attachment to any specific thing. So, so are the, there multiple yeah, of them? So there's like eight a, a year or something, and there's so there's there are, two in May, one in one in uh, July, one in. Like like um, New Year's Day is a bank holiday. Okay, but it's New Year's Day. Yeah, it's not. It's, a, it's not bank holiday. It's New Year's no, Day. But it is a bank holiday. It's just okay. A pub, but don't it's just you a have one? Holiday. You have one that's just every year it hits me, and it's just like it's random. They just call it ah oh, Monday's the bank holiday. No, no, no. And it's not for any purpose. That's just the name for all of them. They're all a no, bank holiday. No, but but there's like one every there year is, that there's no purpose there for. Is, it's just a random day. They're all random days. God damn it! <laughs> they're all random days apart from Christmas and um the ones around Christmas. Oh. But oh, the, the, we call fuck like the, the May people. one. There's there's the May bank holiday. We call it or like just we uh-huh. just call it, we we refer to them by the month that they're, that they're in normally. Give your holidays fucking names, people. No. That's the, <laughs> that's the message. All our holidays would be problematic. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Conquering of India Day. Yeah, exactly. Conquering of Myanmar that's Day. That's exactly it. <laughs> that's exactly it. That's the problem. Chinese subjugation day. Yep, we can't do that. That would be bad. Yes, it would. Anyways. Okay, so what's your hot take? Uh, my hot take this week, Benedict, uh, as I am, as I mentioned, moving away from Washington, mm. D.C. Yep, to St. Louis, yep. Missouri. Um, <laughs> some cities just are better than others. Are you saying um, that St. Louis is better than D.C.? Is that, is that uh, the hot take? 
I think I might go the other way on okay. this. Well, you know, uh, I, Louis. You I lived that. in D. I've never been, but I've been doing so much, you know, research, looking into stuff. And uh, we have uh, friends of the show, former guests from the past who live in the uh, St. Louis City area, uh, who I've asked a few questions of, and and all sorts of stuff. And God damn it, St. Louis is a. <sighs> There's nothing to do in St. Louis, man. There's fucking nothing to right. do in St. Louis. I don't know what to do. Everyone's just like, everyone I ask about it, who's ever been there is like, uh, well, they got their own kind of barbecue. So right. that's the thing, cool. I guess. Awesome. Fine. Perfect. Uh, whatever. Is there anything, can you tell me anything more about your city than that? Uh, they, I, I've looked up the dozens of chain restaurants it's known for, but like, there's nothing to do in this fuck. Okay. I've tried my best to find things that I will be able to enjoy when I get to St. Louis. Right? As it's soon as the bar re- exam is really over, into baseball. Oh, I'm gonna have to. I'm really gonna have to. As soon as the uh, bar exam is over, my favorite, one of my favorite bands, Black Pistol Fire, is playing in St. Louis. So I'm gonna be nice. going to see that. I'm um, seeing Patton Oswalt in December. I'm trying to. Teams? They have the Cardinals, right? Yeah, St. Louis. yeah. They have the Cardinals and the Blues. Uh, or uh, uh, yeah, yeah. The wait, what's the St. Louis hockey team? Why am I, I forgetting know. the St. Louis? Ho- yeah, St. Louis Blues. Right. Yeah, that's right. I don't know why I blanked on that for a moment. I'm a hockey fan. I don't really watch any other sports. Do the Sharks ever play out out Easter? Yeah, they'll uh, they'll play they'll play okay. the. So I'll be able to see my Sharks fun. play uh, from time to time. It'll be it'll be fine. I'll survive. Um, but yeah. So other than you know, you're like it. It's a bland city, is what I'm getting at. It's a very bland sure. city. D.C. has goddamn character. I have lived here for three years. I love D.C. D.C. is an amazing place, and if any of you ever get a chance to live in D.C. for even a short time, do it. Because D.C. is such a wonderful place with amazing people. It's a great community, and I have loved every minute of it. And now I'm going to (laughs) the Ruth's Chris of the United States. The, the chain restaurant of cities is where I'm going. I think and there I'm, are worse I'm, cities, Kevin. Eh, there are worse cities. There are much... I could be in Kansas City, uh, but... It's not even the worst city in Missouri. <laughs> this is true. I'm sure I will find things I enjoy about St. Louis. Hopefully it's, it's a hidden gem that I didn't know about, but... Um, I'm going to be missing DC a lot. So, you know, my, my hot take is really is, hard selling to, me coming to visit you. Go to DC, not St. Louis is my hot take this week. Benedict, yeah. what's on your bookshelf this week? What should they be reading instead of the garbage that we read? I've got Haiti on my mind this week. So it's the, oh, uh, the, the black Jacobins by CLR James, um, which is a focus on the Haitian revolution is uh it's super interesting and like the disconnect between uh the ideals of the french revolution and how they translated to the first uh major black republic which was the republic Mm -hmm. of haiti um and it's super interesting mostly focused on toussaint louverture and the the fight for freedom there but it's 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 a really really good approach first introduction to it's, I mean, it's quite an academic text, but it's a really good introduction to to the Haitian Revolution. If you're not familiar, any comment? Uh, bo- bo- boring? <laughs> no, sorry, it's all uh, boring. <laughs> Absolutely opposite. Okay, tell me your amazing book then. You shouldn't have said it's a very academic text it's if you didn't want me to say not, boring. It's not academic. It's just a, <laughs> you I mean, said that. Sure, you said no, that. I did. I said quite academic. Look, I have funny. graduated law school. I am very much looking forward to never having to read any more academic text in my life. Sure. 
Sure. So, okay. Tell uh, me your amazing, fantastic, wonderful my book then. amazing suggestion this week is in fact not a book, Benedict. Oh, we didn't uh, even do the the year of book. the anime rolls on, Benedict. The year of the anime rolls on. I haven't recommended any new anime in a while, uh, but I uh, I saw one recently. I thought it was great. Wanted to recommend it. Akudama Drive. It's available, I think, on Hulu right now. Okay. I think that's the only place I saw it. Uh, it's a suicide mission done right. Okay. I think they did a really good job of it's a you know I think it's twelve I think it's short twelve episodes it's either twelve or twenty four most of them are, um, and it's just a great story characters you really get engaged in and they're not afraid to kill people off, uh, and it's just enjoyable all the way through. They do that that great. Uh, um, co-opting of Christianity and not quite understanding it thing um, <laughs> that you see from time to time in uh, Japanese anime that okay. I love I love so much. It's just like they have the symbolism right. They get the symbolism, but they don't they don't know how most of the world actually does Christianity. Okay. Um, it was really wonderful. I, I really thought it was great. Uh, so go ahead and check that out. It's it's on Hulu. It's a good show. It's an enjoyable time, is what okay. I'll say about it. So anyways, on to housekeeping this week, of course. Remember to rate and review us on the iTunes. And I, I got to say, as far as the rate and review us on the iTunes goes, you know, Benedict the other day, he was telling me uh, that he he went to his neighbor's house because he, he needed to borrow some sugar because he, he, drink, he drinks tea. You it's, know, he, he's one of those weirdos. Okay, no, tea. hold on. I do not uh, put sugar in my tea. And, I, and needed, we will not slander my good name some like sugar. this. He needed some sugar Not for, for the crumpets he was making uh, to eat with the tea. What the fuck are you talking about? Get out of here. <laughs> crumpets aren't a sweet treat. You've ruined it. You've ruined the story. Nobody's going to believe this now. Just give us well, five stars on iTunes. Benedict and was I making dessert crumpets and... Uh... <laughs> No. He needed no. some sugar. I, I'm not allowing you to finish this story. <laughs> fine, Please fine. Biscuits. Just, no. You were making biscuits. I was not making biscuits. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> just rate and review us on iTunes so that Kevin doesn't have to tell these shitty, poorly researched stories in future. That's the pitch. <laughs> That's it. Well, anyway, the neighbor said he wouldn't give Benedict any sugar because he didn't have enough stars on iTunes. Right. So that was that was the story. <laughs> and then I had to eat tea without sh drink tea without sugar and drink uh, eat savory crumpets like a fucking normal person. <laughs> Man, you got about that? It's just outward slander. Outrageous well, slander. People, people put sweet shit. People put honey in tea. What the fuck are you mad about? No. People put sugar in tea and they're animals. <laughs> so good. Um, make sure to also follow us on the social medias. Uh, iTunes, yeah, fucking, I don't know, Twitter, Facebook, wherever the fuck you want to go. Do you have another fun little We're story about rails. how you went to borrow <laughs> jelly from your neighbor to put in your coffee, you fucking animal? <laughs> Ooh, jelly-flavored creamer. That mm. might be... <laughs> Hold on, I need to go file a patent really quickly. Uh, anyways, Benedict, with all that out of the way, we return to our book review of Arguing with Socialists by Glenn Beck, a man best described with words he cannot define. Benedict, what did we read this week? Well, Kevin, this week we read Chapter 7, Saints, Sinners, and Socialists, which is basically what I can only assume was the summary he sent to the publisher before publication and then forgot to take out of the draft of the book, because it's yeah. just the same things he's already said, <laughs> but again, well, and worse, somehow... We really have been running into that the farther we go in this book. The amount of repetition, saying Lots the same repetition. thing, you know, basically cut and paste 
arguments or entire sections he's had in earlier chapters into these later ones. And I have a bit of a theory on that, just just a little bit. So I mentioned, I think, like the first episode when we were reviewing this book, that uh, it, the book is, right, it's it's credited to by Glenn Beck, right? That's, that's who wrote the book. Uh, but... It's, it says written and edited by Glenn Beck on the title page, but it says beneath that, contributors, Justin Haskins, Donald Kendall, and Stu Bergieri. That's his, okay. his, remember we talked about his little little guy on a show? I think, most likely, those guys were doing the lion's share of the work as far as writing was going on. And they probably had like a pool of stuff that they wanted that they to hit. pulled from, yeah, that seems right. Yeah, they had like a, a Google Doc full of, eh, this is all the stuff we want to fit in in various chapters. Um, and since Glenn Beck is credited as the editor here, and we know how the editing has been throughout this book, he Not didn't right. bother to actually check <laughs> and make sure there was no duplication going on. That's my theory on uh, I, uh, what happened. I really, like, you know, it's, I didn't know that. And then now all the self-deprecating humor really hits uh-huh. a little different. Where no, it's just his no. underlings being like, this fat <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> that does make a lot more sense, though, doesn't it? <laughs> Anyways, Benedict, do you have an alternate chapter title I for do, us? and it's, it's, a re- it's a reference to the great uh, great British game, Just a Minute. I don't know if, you, if you're familiar Never with Just a Minute. Never heard of it. Never so heard of it. So my, my alternate Isn't chapter title... Is that a radio title, thing? Yeah, it's a radio show. Oh, okay, radio yeah. Show. Um, like, so, like, wait, wait, don't tell me, the NPR Kind of, thing. yeah. So, but yeah. it's... it's I'll, I'll, I'll say the title and then explain it. So the, the my title is Repetition, Hesitation, and Deviation. Uh, so the 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 game is that you have to you're given a topic and it's it's actually hard if you've ever tried to do it and you have to speak on the topic while not hesitating for more than a little while not repeating any words other than the words that are on the title card or deviating from the topic at hand well, that's fucking impossible. It's not. It's, I mean, it's doable. It's fucking and then, impossible. So it's a panel game. So it's not like it's not like yeah. there's a judge and he's like, you did it. Like people have to notice you doing it okay. and challenge. Like so, like you said that word already, or like you know you're deviating from something. Oh, this is irrelevant. So, so so there's a whole other layer here. Yeah, to your yeah. alternate chapter and title also about pe- the repetition. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> repetition, hesitation, and deviation. I'm, I'm charging Glenn with all three in this book rather in this it's chapter. You trying then. to be way too fucking yeah, clever this right. week. It's very messy. <laughs> Normally, I put the bare minimum of effort in. Yeah. So now this I, is... I, I was about to say. <laughs> Normally, I'm like, oh, come on. You didn't fucking try. And now I'm like, oh, you fucking tried too goddamn Yeah, too much. hard. Yep. It's a layered joke that no one will get unless they grew up and in now I, in the and, 90s. And be- the reason I'm mad is because of my shitty uh, alternate chapter title that's going to look way, way worse compared to the uh, effort you put in. Mine is just socialism will never work because I suck. <laughs> That's funny. Which I think too. is a fair summation of the chapter. Yep. If I'm going to be honest about it. Yep, yep. Again, I, I mean, it's it's one of those other. Again, like I, the t- the title could easily be no, no. This is socialism. Like, <laughs> yes. Again, we've got. I mean, we have no consistent uh, view of socialism throughout this book. Right? No. There, there's no other than everything is socialism. We have no consistent. Uh, definition it's of that socialism. kid's book of like everything i don't like is socialism isn't it exactly socialism. exactly but like all chapters in this book we start off with of course a little fun cartoon this one might right? be the weirdest one i don't know about weirdest uh i think dumb i i don't know it's hard to say at least it's straightforward at least i understand what he's trying to do with this one i'll yeah. say that about it so the first panel, 
Uh, we have in the background a circus performer, a woman in a top hat, and uh, uh, holding a flaming hoop that a tiger's jumping through. Mm-hmm. And in the foreground is Ilhan Omar, arms crossed, saying, if these wild animals can be trained to overcome their natural instincts, dot, dot, dot. And then in the next panel, in the background, circus tamer with an elephant this time. Big, big muscle man, big muscle circus guy standing next to an elephant. And AOC in the foreground saying, so can we as human beings. And then this comic is finished off rather simply with the two circus tamers being mauled by the animals they were previously standing next to yep so i know what he was going for there right yeah, like I, human I, nature I, is violent and we're all going to end up killing each other that's that's why sure. we need guns I... well it, it all it always comes back to guns right we know it always comes back to guns but we'll get into it but uh, human nature to begin with is a bullshit term that's indefinable, I think, in, in most respects. Yeah, it's and, also weird. Because nobody ever bothers to define that, it. That's true. And it's also weird because, like, I don't think the Democrats are the, like, pro-circus people here. Like, <laughs> you know, I don't think there's a massive pro-circus movement amongst the progressive wing of the Democratic Party. Yep. Yeah, uh, maybe. I don't, I, I don't know. I, it's just a weird way of illustrating I actually don't the remember. Have you ever been to a circus? When I was a kid, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I have to. Like, the Barman and Baileys came through the city, and I think we, we went to the circus. But, like, I don't think I've seen, like, even, like, advertisements for a circus in, like, 10 years. Certainly not one with I animals. Think... I, don't, I don't know if yeah. that's even allowed. I don't think they're really, like, even around much anymore. Maybe yeah. in Texas. Maybe you get a lot Probably, more circuses yeah. in Texas. Who knows? A lot more but this chapter starts off with the big headline, Human Nature and Socialism Don't Mix. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be his 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 thesis here, by the way, for this whole chapter is humans fucking suck. Yeah. And there's nothing we can do about it. So, right. But also, like, he wants to to, rely on humans. His solution is to, for for some humans to be charitable when they have no, no, um, no reason to do so. So, it just doesn't fit with his worldview either. It's like, oh, we want one billionaire to be charitable for no real reason. Well, I mean, I think the major point is that Glenn Beck has never met an actual good person. Possibly. I, I don't think Glenn Beck has ever met a person who actually cares about other people, is the impression I get. And I know we just talked about how there are other writers, but I'm going to continue saying Glenn Beck as we do this book, because it's just much easier to attribute the words he claims to have edited and approved by himself to himself. Yeah. Right? I think I think that's what we're going to go through. Fair. But to help us prove that, in fact, humans suck, he starts off, of course, with a Margaret Thatcher quote that says, sure. the facts of life are conservative, which proves nothing more than that Margaret Thatcher was an idiot. Also, the, fact, the fact that a conservative thinks the conservative worldview is right. correct. Like, okay, right. sure. The, that, but that's the sort of there's thing, plenty like, of quotes from liberals saying the facts lean liberal. Like, I, you know, it doesn't make it true right. necessarily. It's just... But it really is the sort of thing that, like, when I was a kid, I heard my parents saying, right, uh, conservatives are all about facts, not emotions, and blah, blah, blah. And then I grew older and started to learn how much they lied about everything. And I was like, oh, maybe maybe they're not really about yeah, facts. Yeah, the fun one that I was... They are just the, screaming about that the black one, guy. The fun, the fun one I always got told was, like, oh, you'll, you'll, you'll know when you start paying taxes. Yeah. Then you'll yeah. care. I still fucking get that one. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's great for me... Uh, people always do to, with me my favorite thing in the world is when people come to me someone who spent five years of my life working as a fucking mechanic and go oh well you just don't really know because you've never had a real job that's right and these are always like 
some douchebag in a polo shirt who went straight from high school to college and had his parents pay for everything. It's like, mm-hmm. fuck you, kid. You don't know what the fuck you're talking about. That's I'm it. the only one here who's had a real fucking job. But I digress, Benedict. As I pointed out, I think at the beginning, I think the term human nature is pointless. I don't think that term is workable at all. And he just, he never bothers to define no. it for one thing. He never bothers to define what human nature means. But he keeps trying to ascribe aspects to it, like that humans are greedy seems to be one of the through lines he's going for here, mm-hmm. right? And so I don't think that... I, would you know, say, I, I think part of that, though, is because of the system that we live in, right? Like capitalism makes humans greedy. And he doesn't, mm-hmm. he doesn't acknowledge that in any way. No, I, I, I absolutely agree with that. You he know, starts you, off you, here. You are you are a product of the system of the circumstances in which you are in which you grow and come to come to maturity. And if that system rewards greediness, then you're going to tend towards greediness. Right. And I'd also point out two things. Right. I'd point out first that I personally know plenty of people who do have a streak of altruism in them and who do give a lot to other people and care about other people and try and do what they can to help other. I like to think that I'm that way. Mm -hmm. Right. (laughs) That I try to help other people and that I'm not particularly interested in greed. Um And also, I'd like to point out that the vast majority of this country, by population, voted for a political party who wants to give their tax dollars to people who have less, which is the very thing he claims that people don't actually want, which is because of human nature. They're not, that's right, they're not real Americans. I'm sorry, you're right. They're not white Americans. I mean, sorry, real Americans. (laughs) Real Americans. You, You heard me. Anyways, we start off. This isn't the very first beginning of the chapter, but one of the early quotes we get here. Lots of, one of the I first think we're going to skip mentioning. over a lot of this because a lot of yes, it's very repetitive. it's very repetitive. And a lot of it it's leads very into, repetitive. you know, we might digress and talk about human nature a bit, but it's uh, it's mostly yeah. boring. Well, as we said, this human na- human nature term is one that Republicans love to fucking talk about, despite the fact that they know not a goddamn thing about human nature. They're not fucking anthropologists. They're not fucking psychologists. They don't listen to any of people who have actual expertise in any field that can actually help them understand what that vague term of human nature might actually encompass. But whatever, it doesn't matter. So he says, quote, The reason why socialism doesn't work is that humans are human. For it to have any chance of success, people would have to be fundamentally different creatures whose natures would have to be completely altered in line with socialist principles. Unsurprisingly, that has never happened, and it never will. Yeah. And he- Again, you could say that about any kind of altruism, too, though. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. Like, it, you know, his proposed solution is, is altruism from the billionaire class. And, like, what, what incentives do they have to be altruistic? Yeah, and he almost gets into, at some point in this chapter, we'll talk about it, the interesting question of whether altruism is actually altruism. He almost has that debate yeah. with himself in this book, but he, now he just steps right past it. Of course he does. It's very, steps it's very over fun. it. Yeah. But he, he backs up that first quote, just to begin with, by going straight to... The Federalist Papers and James you? Madison. Yep. Who, of course, Madison's view of freedom is fundamentally incompatible with what Glenn Glenn claims his view of freedom is, right? Fundamentally incompatible, yet this is his proof. He goes to saying that the the founders knew all this stuff about human nature. They were students of history and philosophy, and they they knew that people are flawed, and we need to set up this form of government which was inherently unfree and 
exactly what Glenn claims he doesn't want, which denied all sorts of rights to people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they did it because they, they knew all this stuff. This government that allowed slavery and that would um, very much have far fewer First Amendment rights than what we actually have today that he's going to complain about later in this chapter. Yeah, and I mean, also, Madison wrote, oh, just, Ma- Madison and Glenn, like, do not have a lot of overlapping, no. uh, no. <laughs> overlapping opinions, including, like, Madison's very against the idea of the tyranny of the minority, both Madison mm-hmm. and Hamilton, actually, it's something I've been reading recently about, you know, that both, there's a lot of the Federalist Papers arguing not to have things like the filibuster, which, like, you know, it, it's it's a little irrelevant to what we're talking about here, but Madison is not not a good example for Glenn Beck to be hold, holding up, really, based on his, his worldview. Yeah, and this quote from Glenn a little bit later down the page says, quote, Madison's remedy for this problem was a federalist system in which there would be numerous states, communities, and factions holding each other accountable. Which could be if, fundamentally overruled by the federal government. That was, again, uh, part of Madison's design of the government, was that if, basically it didn't matter <laughs> shit what a state said if the federal government was like no that's bollocks well but here's what i wanted to point out if power is spread out across an entire nation it becomes much more unlikely that a majority faction would develop and take away the rights of the minority this is a thing i should point out that he was famously wrong about yeah but this is what glenn beck is holding up (laughs) as part of his his support for his argument in this chapter right yeah, and also, I mean, the the Federalists did absolutely dominate dominate the 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 mm. first like sixty years of American government. Yeah, and I I would say also, you said that that Glenn is into tyranny of the minority. I think for I think for for one thing, my in you know recent years, my thinking has shifted to thinking that the tyranny of the minority is the largest problem we have in the United States. I, I legitimately think. Yeah. I think the biggest problem we have is that we live under tyranny of the minority. I think it's it's a huge fucking problem we need to deal with before we can actually fucking move on and take care of any of our other fucking problems. If we can deal with the tyranny of the minority, we don't have to deal with Joe fucking Manchin being the goddamn swing vote and having to deal with him and all this shit, right? We can actually have more Democrats and have an actual intellectual conversation among people who believe in reality about what should be the move forward, shit well, like that. I, I mean, that's that's actually not really the problem. The problem is Joe Manchin isn't the swing vote. The, the swing vote is the 10th Republican. Uh, that well, That's also part of it. That, exactly. You, that, you get what I'm going That's the problem, at. yeah. <laughs> you, you understand what I'm going at. Yeah, yeah, But yeah. anyway... But point being, right, that this whole whole I don't think that Glenn is pro tyranny of the minority uh, because he's talked a lot in this book about how the minority protections and, you know, Bill of Rights, all this stuff. I don't think he actually believes that. I think he simply believes in a tyranny of Republicans. And he doesn't care whether Republicans are in the majority or the minority. He doesn't actually believe in protecting minority rights for the sake of protecting minority rights. He believes in Republicans being in charge because those are the policies he believes. Well, that's essentially that's the what tyranny I, of the minority, isn't it? Because the Republicans have been the minority yes. for in, the past. In practice, it is. But you get the distinction I'm going yeah, for yeah, here. Sure, where, right? Sure. It's not actually about protecting any minority rights. Because if Democrats were in the minority then he would absolutely be all in favor of trouncing on those minority rights he now professes to believe in. There's no fundamental uh, uh, actual belief underpinning all this. So there's a brain dump on the side of the page, which is absolutely something we've already had in previous chapters. It's the whole, the Soviet Bill of Rights fucks you thing, right? (laughs) 
the <laughs> and Soviet, Soviet Russia, Bill of Rights. In Soviet yeah. Russia, Bill of Rights fucks you, yeah. Exactly. It's the whole, we got this, I think in one of the very early chapters, he basically had this same exact thing printed out. Pretty much. Where it was, oh, they had the whole Soviet constitution, but one of them said that none of these matter because it uh, can't infringe on the rights of other citizens. So, that eh, we had that already. Yep. But then we get to the next page, and he says, quote, Oh, this chart was weird. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, it's a very bad chart. Uh, it says, quote, So the founders built two important checks on the power of government and the majority of society into their constitution, federalism and constitutional guarantees for individual liberty. Both were meant in part to stop the very development socialists now regularly call for, granting nearly all power either to a small minority in government or, in the case of democratic socialism, to the majority population. So, that makes no fucking sense no, there. None. Apparently power can neither be had by the minority or the majority. <laughs> so there's, uh, it's, it's bullshit. But the chart you're talking about, yes, it's a bullshit chart. And uh, the over the top of it, the label says, 30 Second Guide to Government Spending. Uh, and it's a four-quadrant chart, which has as its uh, its uh, labels for yourself and for someone else on the left side axis, and on the top, using your own money and using someone else's money. So, for yourself, using your own money, you have apparently high concern for quality and cost. When you're using someone else's money to buy something for yourself, you have high concern for quality and low concern for cost. When you're using your own money to buy something for someone else, you have low concern for quality and high concern for cost. You know how you give gifts Glenn to your friends. Yeah. Glenn is a bad gift giver. <laughs> and then he tells us that in quadrant four, this is where governments buy, you have low concern for quality and low concern for cost. It's such Coming a from someone, view of how, like, it's so... Yeah, like, uh, I Someone who also... I know has... <laughs> No experience in the government bidding process yes. or the government purchasing exactly. process. Exactly, and yeah. like the the I literal caps on things, and like yeah, having li- to justify every purchase. Literally, where where the items purchased have to meet exact, rigid, specific yeah. guidelines on how exactly. they were manufactured and the quality that they have. It's, exactly. it's ridiculous. And as if people aren't living paycheck to paycheck when buying things for themselves. And like, oh yeah, I have a really high concern for quality. I think I'll spend my entire paycheck yeah. on fucking yeah. beluga caviar this year. Yep. That, well, that's how Glenn makes his purchases, sure. right? But he doesn't... Glenn is not the everyman he pretends to be. He has no fucking clue what? how the rest of society actually lives. We know this. I know. Faux shock. Oh, who could imagine? But he continues. Because humans are terrible central planners who are much better at managing their own affairs than they are at managing the affairs of others, people are also much more likely to work harder, more efficiently, and longer days when they are motivated by a reward for themselves or their families. It's funny how he thinks we're terrible central planners, but then thinks businesses are able to solve everything. Right. Right. Like, businesses are running through central planning, like... Right, and he also apparently doesn't know a single person who actually works a job that they care about, right? Yeah. Glenn doesn't know anybody who works in a fucking nonprofit that likes their work, that cares about the cause they're working for. People who work fucking long hours, right? The fuck? He doesn't understand anyone who's actually motivated by good no. thoughts. He just, he just I, he doesn't. Just, he just, the next few pages are all just say like him being like, yeah, like people are naturally pricks. And there's nothing we can do about that. Yeah. Yeah, it's fucking crazy, man. He continues. Competition and the rewards that flow from it are literally everywhere. 
By denying that reality, socialists work against fundamental laws of nature. It's no wonder, then, that they have been so unsuccessful. Because apparently, and we have to point out once again, right, that his definition of bullshit socialism is not at all what anyone in the United States is pushing for. No one is getting rid of, Some people are, but, like, it's it's hardly the majority view. There are 12 people in downtown Austin and 50 in Portland who agree with Glenn Beck's definition of socialism. The vast majority, right, you get what I'm saying. Yeah. We don't need to worry about that. Sm- the, the political party he pointed out that had a thousand members. Uh, I don't need to give a shit what they think exactly. because that's not what we're actually talking about because Glenn claims that the Democrats are fucking socialists. He claims that Joe Biden is a fucking socialist. Ipso facto, Joe Biden wants all this bullshit that Glenn claims in this book that is patently ridiculous nonsense yep. so I don't have to quibble with him about who exactly in this country wants his bullshit definition That's of socialism, fair. right? It. Uh, thank you. I'm very glad that you agree with me on that front. Right? I think so. But, but again, right, nobody wants to do away with private ownership. That's not what anybody's fucking arguing for. We're arguing mainly for more social fucking safety nets and higher taxes. Mm-hmm. There still is competition under whatever you want to call that. Call it socialism if you want. There's still fucking competition yep. there. Jesus Christ, you moron. I'm, I'm talking to Benedict now. Because <laughs> uh, I've been imagining an argument in my head for the last two minutes between you and me. It's not me. I, I agree with you. Yes, yes. So he says later, he continues. However, socialism, even democratic socialism, destroys voluntary choice. It demands actions on the parts of others, even if those people do not want to engage in them. Excuse me, I have the constitutional right to be a prick if I want to (laughs) be. Well, at that point, I went, wait, what the fuck is he talking about? Demands action. And then I realized, oh, he thinks taxation is uh, forcing someone to do something. I forgot. I had completely forgotten. No, I think he's being really literal with it. I think he literally thinks that we're going to force people to, like, hand out money to the, like, literally compel people to go and do benevolent acts. I think that's what he's arguing here. That's possible. I don't know. I mean, and we do get in this chapter, I should say, some more hints of his uh, convergence with uh, John Birch Society. Oh, yeah. Thinking, I saw right? the global government thing. And then I was like, right. John Birch. See, sticks right out of the page to you now, doesn't yep, it? Right. It does. um, and so but we also get some stuff that I don't know. He doesn't make any uh, argument to me in this book or in this chapter anyways, that sounds in any way like uh, actual action. He just keeps talking about taxation and spending. That's the only because th- that's the only well, real uh, world so example on, on, he can on the use. Next, on the next page, he he says, if you're forcing and mandating people to act in a certain way, then it's not really benevolence or charity. Right, but then again, there he just says act. He just says it. He doesn't say what yeah, the action but is. That, that, that what the a- I think what the like action he's... is is t- taxation and then spending your money on social Possibly. welfare programs. But I, I he's think defining he's... that as forcing someone to act. I think he's literally which is nonsense. Okay. I think he's literally saying that people will be compelled into actions by a socialist state, which is another big, scary boogeyman of, like, the government's going to tell you what to do. I guess because in earlier chapters, he did have all that bullshit stuff about, like, fucking uh, uh, collective farms. Well, he gets onto it with the broccoli Maybe. in this one. Like, okay. get, <laughs> of, like you're gonna, but he's not using that. We'll get to it. All right. We have to just. Yeah. Just have to skip have to through this bullshit. We'll yep. fucking get to it yep. when we get to it. Sure. Or else we're going to talk about this entire chapter on page yeah, four or whatever. We're on. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. 
So he says, this is the least inspiring way to get humans to help others, because people are often required to engage in actions they really, really don't want to do. Yeah. I, I don't I don't care. I don't care what he finds inspiring. No. I, I really fucking don't. No. The majority wants us to do this. We should fucking do this. So we get finally our first tweet of the chapter. Uh, and this is from Clay Gabara at Coffee Shop Kami. Uh, and he says, quote, Many people are greedy and self-centered, and that greed is the root of most of our problems. If you allow people to have total control over their wealth and property, they will greedily keep it for themselves while others suffer. And this is where I expected Glenn to just give the Gordon Gecko speech from Wall Street. I, I really did expect the greed is good speech at this point. Uh, but no, he says instead, no, we don't need to take away uh, rights from individuals. We need uh, them to voluntarily change, you know, that thing that's never happened. So, what, why would they? Based on everything he said so far in this chapter, why would they do that? Exactly. You can't change human nature is his whole fucking point, yeah. his whole thesis of this chapter. So why would he make that, that argument that cuts against what he says? But then Clay Guevara claps back at that with the one-line tweet, we can just enforce benevolence. Yeah, don't love that, Clay. <laughs> enforce benevolence. That's such, that is absolutely what Glenn Beck thinks someone would say. Yeah. From his warped worldview, that's absolutely what he thinks. And it was really just, um, you know, because, uh, again, I have to point out, all these tweets are just him setting himself yeah, up for the comeback that he wants to sentence. say. It was just an opportunity for him to be able to come back with that whole thing that we've all heard from Republicans a thousand times. Which is, if you're forcing someone to do something, then it's not really charity. It's tyranny. Right, that whole bullshit that people argue whenever they're arguing against whatever. Name the social whatever, program. Dude, yeah, it's sure. forced charity isn't charity. Well, you know, sixty-five percent of us want to increase the food stamp program. So for us, for the sixty-five percent, then it is. We just agree to all, you know, have uh, a certain process to do it through. The rest of you are just dicks. I don't really care. But the next tweet. We now go to the next. It's that short little comeback, and then Neil DiCaprio Cortez, my dude comes back with, how can it be considered tyranny if the collective is simply making people act in a way that benefits everyone? And I want to point out that making people act phrase, that thing we were arguing about a few minutes ago, he's going to keep that phrasing throughout this chapter, despite never having any examples beyond, again, taxation and spending. Mm -hmm. That's just what he's going to be pointing to about this making people act, because he really wants to make that fetch happen. He really fucking wants it. He says, quote, Every dictator, king, emperor, and tyrannical government that has ever existed has insisted that its mandates, government programs, and taxes are for the betterment of mankind, regardless of whether that was actually true. Sure, I guess so. Sure. Whatever. He then says, It's also important to remember that there's absolutely no evidence at all that collective property ownership and management or raising taxes improve prosperity. Some of the states with the highest tax rates and largest welfare programs also have huge impoverished communities. I love he is the example edging he gives his fucking here, language. Yes. Did you do the same research that I did? No, but also okay. I, I just he does a real sleight of hand in which well, I'm just gonna say it and then you can mm -hmm. talk about your research. Yeah, yeah. So he says, for example, progressive Democrats in Rhode Island have had continuous control of both states' House of Representatives and Senate since but sorry both states house of representatives and senate since 1959 more than 60 consecutive, consecutive years and the state has traditionally had 
the worst poverty rate in New England. Not the United yeah. States. <laughs> <laughs> New England, the the famously progressive liberal He's bastion. Hedging the fuck out of that statement. Exactly. Let's, uh, so Benedict. Yeah, let's compare it to uh Kentucky, You know what I did. Shall we? You, you yeah. know what I did, Benedict. Is you know it, is exactly it like what the I did. Fifth least poverty po- poor. Uh, I pulled up the list of every state by their poverty rate uh, from first first being the lowest poverty rate and uh, 50th being the highest poverty rate. Mm. Uh, You want to take a guess at number one? Uh, Lowest poverty rate or highest? Lowest poverty rate. Lowest. Uh, Connecticut. No. New Hampshire. Oh, okay, that makes sense. New Hampshire. That yeah. Second is Utah. Utah that's okay. that's the only Republican state you're going to get for a while on this list. Uh, followed by Maryland, Minnesota, New Jersey, Colorado, Hawaii, Massachusetts, Washington, mm-hmm. Virginia, Nebraska at 11. There's another Republican state. Okay. Connecticut, Alaska, your only other Republican state for a while. Uh, Vermont, Wisconsin, North Dakota, Rhode Island at number 18. Right. 18th lowest poverty rate in the Benedict. Now, would you like to hear the states with the highest poverty rate? I would, yeah. Starting at the highest poverty rate in the country, Mississippi, Mm. Louisiana, New Mexico, Kentucky, Arkansas, West Virginia, Alabama, Oklahoma, Tennessee, South Carolina, Texas, North Carolina, Georgia, Arizona, Ohio. Yeah. What do those states all have in common, Largely Benedict? Largely Republican, yeah. Let's yes. Those are your low taxation, low spending states, all with the highest poverty rate in the nation, right? There's a sprinkling of Republican states throughout the middle, right? Florida is only at number 32 okay, uh, for worst poverty in the country. Let's just say also, like, Alaska has a universal basic income for all yes, of its yes, residents. Yes, it does. Yes, it so does. That, I mean, that's probably something to do with that being up there as well. Yes, that's absolutely true. Uh, and uh, and Utah just has no fucking people in it. Uh, so, well, right, you, this I is... I mean, Utah does have, like, it probably has something to do with the Mormonism, genuinely. Like, it's probably... It, it's probably I, some... Yeah, there genuinely is. There's there's a huge, right, a lot of Mormons uh, really leverage those family connections, the, the massive family connections. Mm-hmm. And that leads to, uh, you know, a lot of wealth and, and low poverty because people are getting money from family. And, and people and look after their work. extended family a lot of the time. Exactly, well. like exactly. And they get their family members' jobs and all this stuff. Anyways, but uh, I really did love, and I, I had such a great reaction to reading that when he said, worst poverty rate in New England. New England which consists <laughs> of, you know, New Hampshire, Connecticut, Massachusetts. He was trying so hard there. Yeah. He was trying so hard to find something he could say and ignore the fact that it's fucking republican states all with the highest poverty new New hampshire does have a republican bent to it it's uh it's certainly been yeah it's 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 got a weird bent to it yeah but it's it's still it's still a pretty blue state still a pretty blue state uh but uh he then continues on further many of the u.s cities with the highest rates of extreme poverty have been for decades controlled by progressives and or socialists including buffalo detroit new york city and philadelphia among many others there's no nuance in why the urban urban places might be urban areas are where poverty happens and Name a fucking Republican city. I've tried in the past. I can't fucking find one. I, think I biggest, can't find a Republican city. I think the biggest one is in... Is it Jacksonville? I think Jacksonville might have a, a Republican mayor. Hold on. I want to know now. The biggest city with a Republican mayor, I would guess... I think it's Jacksonville. 
I don't even think it's just about the mayor. I think no, it also I comes know. down to city council. Lenny Curry, the mayor of Jacksonville, is a Republican. Okay. Hold on, um, I've got the. I've got, okay, yeah. So that's the biggest city with a with uh, with a Republican mayor. All right. And San Antonio. San Antonio has an independent. Honolulu has an independent, but. Really a really a Democrat. Fort, it has Fort, a pop- Fort Worth is the next one. And has a population of less than a million. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. It's the it's the fourteenth biggest city and, in the U.S. and and it's, it's white as it's white as fuck. I would be interested to know the poverty rate. Yeah, that would be difficult to. We don't have time to do that right now no, on I the know. show. No, I'm just interested. But again, right? So fucking Jacksonville. That's uh, and I I did mention right on the list. Uh, Florida is is not doing great. It's below yeah. Rhode Island on that list by poverty. It's below. It's 35. So it's below most states. Or not 35. 32nd. So it's you know it's in the bottom 50 percent as far as poverty rate in the country. Uh, so we can assume still not doing that great. Uh, Jacksonville's poverty rate is about in line with any major city. It's about 16. Okay. Okay. So yeah, about in line. Cool. Man, uh, he, just more evidence that his whole point is bullshit. Yep. Right? The uh, Poverty clusters in cities for a number of reasons. For one thing, it's where it's easiest to get resources. So if you have difficulty, especially, you know, when we're talking about homeless populations, I always love the Republican arguments. They're like, there's no fucking homeless population out in bumfuck Iowa. No shit. Because there's nowhere for them to get fucking clothing and shelter and food. Because you people will just let them fucking die. Yeah, that's the because they all died. Like Exactly. Or they went to the fucking cities because it's where they can survive in whatever situation they're in. Or they're living in a trailer making meth. And we don't count that as homeless because we're a bad country. But... We get another tweet from Professor Tweed at Check Your Privilege, Please, and he says, Humans are advancing towards a better, more collectivist future. The problems associated with progressive policies and socialism in the past won't exist in the 21st century because people are improving and evolving. Yeah, I think and we na- should skip over all of this because it just seems to be a fundamental misreading of evolving. He yeah, really, like, thinks yeah. actually scientifically he trying thinks to get literal. Yeah. He thinks it's literal. He really Very does. Nice. He goes on this whole jag about trot that we have like what two and a half, three pages yeah, yeah. about and we're Trotsky. Already, we're already running long, so I think we can skip over. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, there's one brain dump I do want to mention, which is it's an ADD moment, and it says codifying racism. Uh, and most of it, it doesn't matter. He just said, well, you don't know the real full title of Darwin's On the Origin of Species uh, because uh, the anti-evolution crowd doesn't know that On the Origin of Species had nothing to do with human evolution. It was all about uh, uh, animal evolution. Finches. Yeah. Yeah. And so that, that second part of the title, which is the preservation of favored races and the struggle for life, which they think implies racism, actually has nothing to do with that. It was just, you know, people old times spoken. It was, ways. to be fair, used that way. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. And he says, quote, in many respects, socialists and progressives still use evolution as a discriminatory tool, this time as an excuse to dismiss the opinions of their rivals. Those who disagree with them are often considered to be more evolved or uh, uh, those who he just wrote that wrong. Nope. That's just his typo, not mine. Uh, More evolved, more intelligent part of humanity. Those who cling to guns or religion, as Barack Obama once said, are treated as though they are not fully human. It's extremely so, silly. It's extremely that's, silly. That's such horseshit. That's just so great, though. I it's fucking love that so silly. much. 
Yeah, and uh, and I just on the like the next couple pages talking about Trotsky. Nothing I just wrote really, in my yeah. notes. Uh, cool. Trotsky didn't understand psychology or evolution either. We can move on. Um, yeah, that's I, fine. I, I, I don't mean, expect again non-scientists in the 1920s to understand. <laughs> I don't expect scientists from the 1920s to understand. No, they were fucking eugenicists. Science wasn't great back then. But we're doing much better now, and uh, that's why, Glenn, you can survive. It's because of the heart disease medication we've come up with for people like you, that's using right. that science you think is still racist. Uh, then so we have the, the scorecard again, which we've definitely been over before. Yep, we get the, uh, the Which list includes of Nazi the Germany on for socialism, and I, which is not... And again, I... Yeah, I went in there and uh, com- you know pulled it all up, the, uh, the Black Book, the Black Book of Communism, which he claims is his source for all the numbers of deaths. Um, and as far as accuracy this time, because remember, he's, he's been a little wishy-washy on what those numbers are that he's claiming. The, he has in a lot of these, like for USSR, 20 million to 30 million. Uh-huh. So a 10 million gap there. Um, the first number he lists there is the number that the Little Black Book of Communism gives. The 30 million is Glenn Beck's own number. Yeah because he just wants to have a bigger number on there. So he does that for a bunch of these, and he just adds a plus on the end of all of them, because, you know, the bigger that he can make the number, the better. Who really gives a shit? It's also, like, 10,000 is not that big a number compared to the amount of damage that the U.S. has done to itself and others. Yeah, he literally wrote for Venezuela 10,000 plus. Which, like, like, obviously that's bad. (laughs) Like any well, any deaths. I'm pretty sure the the CIA probably killed more than that in yeah, South America. He probably killed more than that in Venezuela. <laughs> Let's go check the Contra scorecard. Yeah. But then we get another tweet from Professor Tweed, and it is okay, Glenn Beck. But you admit that humans have flaws, right? And that's just a setup for a laugh line of "Yeah, I'm an example of a flawed human being." Ha 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 ha! And then Professor Tweed again. Well, we have to deal with those flaws somehow, right? Collective economic decision making is the best way to do that because well-educated, highly trained administrative experts can direct and order society and distribute wealth equitably in ways that flawed individuals cannot. Yes. And he could not write a harder straw man if he tried. He's absolutely just like th- nobody fucking talks like no. that. Nobody argues well, like Professor that. Professor Tweed might. You, I, I, there Professor are professors Tweed that might. would talk like that. <laughs> Someone who's just really fucking fed up with Glenn Beck and yeah. is trying to be as specific as possible. And then he says that the, since the birth hey, of progressivism and the writings of Prussian radical George Wilhelm Friedrich Hegel, you know how you always use someone's full, full name. name. When when you're uh, not being ridiculous about, you know, you know how all those great people are constantly using Barack Obama's middle name Uh uh, just for specificity, not for any other uh, ulterior purpose. There has nothing to do with any of that. But no. Yeah, he's shitting on Hegel here. I I have no doubt that Glenn Beck does not understand Hegel in the slightest. I don't understand Hegel in the no. slightest, but I don't claim to, so I don't have to worry about you that. Quote Hegel. I can just call up. I can just call up Aaron if I need some Hegel expertise. That's right. <laughs> okay, can but, we talk about this broccoli model? Because yes, very yes, weird. we're at the broccoli now. We're at the broccoli now, right? So, uh, we, you know, we get a little bit more of the reason why we have these problems is because humans aren't perfect. We're all imperfect, imperfect people, blah, 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 blah. And then he says, quote, Second, as I mentioned earlier, people are primarily motivated by their own self-interest. I uh, did the editor signal for addition there before people and wrote in shitty. So shitty yep. people, primarily motivated. Uh, but now he gets to this example, which is... <sighs> 
a, a way for him to put in bad puns? I guess. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that's how this came about. It was just an exercise in putting in bad puns. I'm pretty sure. Or am I thinking of the wrong one? Am I the wrong point? Uh, Where was the no, one that this... had like the Bernie puns and stuff? Oh, yeah. No, that's the Windows one. Oh, okay. It's not so... even puns. It's just like pretending yeah, not so... to want to get sued for libel. Yeah, so he puts in this thing, right? Uh, let's say we have an example. Mao's Broccoli Plantation. And everyone who works there makes the same amount of money no matter how much they actually produce, how productive they are. So the worst worker on the farm makes the same amount of money as the best worker on the farm. Mm-hmm. And everyone just going to try and be the worst worker on the farm so they can just keep making money. And if they get fired, who cares? The state's going to take care of them. So there's no incentive for anybody to do anything. Yep. What does he think, like, the broccoli workers are... Like, I'm sorry, but, like, it, what's the hardest working... Bro- Why is the hardest working <laughs> broccoli worker on the farm breaking his back for the man? Like, the, the hardest working broccoli worker is a much better fucking worker than Glenn Beck. That's I, I literally wrote that. I was like, lol, look, Glenn, <laughs> talking into the microphone, thinking he's a hard worker. Right. But look, so uh, we've, we've talked plenty of times about how uh, nobody is arguing for fucking yeah, yeah. collective farming. No. Nobody is arguing this stupid bullshit they always try and pull about. Everyone makes the same amount of money, right? That's all straw man bullshit. Wants None of that this. makes any yep. sense. I can give you an example of how cooperatives work, for example, which is something Glenn Beck would probably claim is socialism because it's a system where workers own the business and uh, they're all paid based on how much they actually do. It's it, a cooperative. You can have a cooperative broccoli farm. And the way that each individual gets paid is based on their patronage, which is generally measured by the amount that they actually contribute to the business. So in other words, if you're picking broccoli, you get paid based on the amount of broccoli you pick. <laughs> the only difference is there's not a whole bunch of money going to a work an owner who's not out there in the fields with you. Everyone who's out there in the fields picking broccoli is making is splitting the same pot of money because they all own it together. That's how it fucking works. It's the exact opposite of this stupid fucking example. They actually do get paid based on how hard they work and have an incentive to work harder. You dick. <laughs> That's right. How um <laughs> So then he gives us more terrible fucking examples of how bad central planning is starting off with the great leap sure. right he, sure. he titles it the great leap backwards and i'm you know my response is yeah man that fucking sucked we all agree on yeah, that. yeah but again but then, like, there's, there's no reference to like the one good thing stalin did which was the five-year plans Right, right. I mean, let let me walk that back. Not the one good thing Stalin (laughs) did. You don't, you don't, in fact, have to hand it to him. Um, Yes, you do not. (laughs) um, But I mean, an example of central planning that did what it was supposed to do. Right. Whether or not I killed millions of Ukrainians in the process. Um, Yeah. But Benedict, let's say for you were looking for another example of you know failed central planning. Right. You, yep. you, you needed something for your book, something that maybe was a little more relevant to people at home. Maybe you'd maybe you'd talk about, uh, the, you know, the government cheese that was rotten and moldy that Reagan sent out mm. uh, to, to Americans in the 1980s. Maybe you talk about that. Maybe um, maybe you talk about the, the terrible response to AIDS that Ronald Reagan had in the oh, 1980s the that led to. Response. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you talk about those sorts of things. Well, no, as a matter of fact, he's going to talk about. The bullet train in California. One, one train and in California. raising the minimum wage. Sure. So, 
And to be uh, entirely fair to Glenn, uh, he's lying out his ass about the bullet train. Um, that's fair. That's fair to him. Yeah. I'm, okay. I'm being fair. So? Um, he says all this bullshit, right? He equates the bullet train to fucking... The bullet train is, for one thing, it's infrastructure. It's something that Glenn, at various points, says, oh, government should be involved in infrastructure, you know, limited government stuff they should do, and infrastructure, one of them, because we've got to get from place to place. Glenn just doesn't like trains because he doesn't understand... Because he likes know, cars. Because uh, he likes cars. Yep. And I should mention, the next chapter is the climate change chapter. Oh, finally. of course it is. Uh, finally, the next cha- next chapter is his climate denial chapter. So we're finally going to get to it. But he claims that by 2018, it was running a decade behind schedule, and the final cost projection was high as a hundred billion dollars more than you know the original cost of 33 billion. And they had given up on trying to connect the line from Los Angeles to California. Ben, would it surprise you that all those are complete bullshit? It would not surprise me at all. In fact, total lies, buddy. Total lies. As a matter of fact. Uh, the project for the California bullet train is still in phase one. The original projected completion date for uh, phase one was 2029. Okay. Uh, the As of right now, uh, the various projects underneath the label of phase one, which include you know various stations or sections of rail line, uh, some of them have been suspended uh, because they're just like, eh, we're going to hold off on that. Uh, but the latest projection for anything actually being completed that's in the current phase one plan uh, is 2032. That is not a decade past 2029, you might notice. I I do know. Yeah, uh, the $100 billion uh, that he lists there is, in fact, not uh, anyone's final cost projection for what it's going to cost. That's just what some right-wing bullshit think tank put together and said, $100 billion sounds like a big scary number we can sell to Republican voters. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's actually closer to 70-something billion, uh, so off by about $30 billion there, buddy. He could say that the cost projection was higher than the original estimate. He could do that, but he had to continue and lie uh, because that's what he does. And his claim that the officials had given up on connecting the line from Los Angeles to San Francisco is absolutely not true. Uh, they, they're actually still working on it right now. So I don't know where he's talking about that from. Uh, it's just that they won't be doing the coastal route. They're doing the inland route. And the first portion of track, the initial, it's like the initial rail corridor or something like that, uh, runs from Merced to Bakersfield because those are the two endpoints where the track will branch off and go in different directions for the various lines. So you do the middle section first, uh, and then up in Merced, it'll branch off and go to San Francisco in one direction, Sacramento in the other direction. Down near L.A., it'll branch off and go to various L.A. locations uh, from the Bakersfield station. So he's just full of shit. So he got just that bit the right, point. that that's where they started I'll, building it. I'm a huge fan of the fucking bullet train. Yeah, huge fan. Yeah, big big fan of trains. I and I fucking love trains. I can't wait to ride on it in a couple years when it's finally fucking done. Let's say 2032. I'll be riding the bullet train. But, uh, you know, Glenn, he hates trains. He thinks trains are socialism. I don't know where that comes from. His favorite fucking book is all about trains. He should love some fucking trains. <laughs> Benedict, you've never read it, but Atlas Shrugged is all I know, about I know, trains. I know, it's, it's I know. It's fucking trains. I, I know enough about it. Yeah, I'm going to buy you a copy of that book. You need to fucking read it. You, you need to fucking read it. It's a terrible book, but you need to fucking read it so bad. But the next thing, the next example of failed central planning is um, that he thinks that the plan to raise the minimum wage will be bad. So that's 
what he's got. Yeah, he he also what he does the thing there. of citing the one study that showed that Seattle yes. workers worked slightly, but ignores the like dozens of study that showed showed yeah. it improved life for everyone. Yeah, and as a matter of fact, the authors of the study that he cites, uh, which uh, the the claim was that uh, when Seattle increased its minimum wage to thirteen dollars an hour, lower wage employees reported working nine percent fewer hours and earned one hundred and twenty five dollars less per month on average, according to researchers at the University of Washington. The authors of that study in twenty nineteen put out a follow-up study that said, well, there's a lot more nuance to what we said originally, and this is not accurate. We can't say that those numbers are accurate of the picture as a whole. Uh, And there are, in fact, a number of other studies, like you mentioned, like one out of UC Berkeley uh, that said, in fact, that there was virtually no change uh, from the pre-minimum wage raise as far as employment statistics. So, As far as hours worked. As far as hours People got a net benefit from the wage raise. Exactly. Yep. But... He gives us a quote from Professor Tweed in the middle here, which says, Socialist governments learn from their inefficiencies and then adjust their systems so that they operate much more effectively. And we've already heard this argument like two chapters ago. Yep. We've already had that. We, we've Again, there's so much repetition in this chapter. It's fucking crazy. We get to the next page and we get Clay Guevara giving us a, a tweet. It says, well, socialists shouldn't let wealthy people take their wealth to some other country. Mm. And Glenn just says, well, aren't you an authoritarian? (laughs) Yes. And we did, remember a couple of chapters ago, we did argue about, because I wasn't sure whether Glenn Beck was anti-offshoring capital or for it or didn't care. That, to me, indicates that he's pro-offshoring capital. Uh, yeah, which does not make sense as far as him being... he's pro it as a way of getting around taxes. I think he would rather people didn't do it, but if it means that they can avoid paying taxes, then he's fine with it. It's inconsistent with his, uh, you know, pro-American jobs, anti-building things overseas stance. Uh, But yes, I agree. I think that the hinge is the taxes. I think he cares much more about paying less taxes than he actually does about American jobs, American workers, all that kind of bullshit. Mm -hmm. But then Clay Guevara says, no, but we could force them to pay a tax if they're going to leave the country with wealth that could be used to help pay for important goods and services here. And he just without citing anything, says that whenever you do that, people just, you know, take their taxes before you put the tax in place. This is extremely they just, they just boring, leave though, quick. because America yeah. is literally the one country in the world that it asks its citizens to file tax returns wherever in the world their wealth is based, right? Mm-hmm. So if you live in Monaco, you still have to file a U.S. tax return. So the U.S. Yes. could very easily be like, okay, and since most of your wealth is offshore, we're charging you an extra 3% on your wealth because... You know, Almost like he's making bad arguments. Yes, almost like <laughs> he's making bad arguments. But like I, I, you know, as a as a Brit living here, I have to declare all of my foreign assets. Mm-hmm. Like I have to write to the government and being like, "This is all so the money I have. Please the, don't tax it." The PS4 you left in your parents' basement, exactly. Uh, in the yeah, UK, yeah, yeah. No, I think uh, it's anything over <laughs> over ten thousand pounds, ten thousand dollars, okay. or something. But. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. It'd be great if you actually had to declare that. No, no, you uh, you have to you have to declare anything anything over a certain amount. But like, I already filed okay. that tax re- like that's part of my tax return. So it would be very easy for billionaires to be like, oh, you have a billion stored in wealth offshore. Well, you are going to be charged a hundred million a year on that offshore wealth. Like, mm-hmm. you could do it if you wanted. It's not. It's 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 dumb to be like, oh, they'll just move it before we can tax them. Like, we can tax them whenever we want to. Yeah. I look. look I, I agree. 
if they if they Glenn want to done. renounce their citizenship, that's a different matter. But I'm yes. not sure many people want to renounce their citizenship and the right to do business in the U.S. Well, as a result, and I don't think Glenn would go that far because it cuts against his something that's not important ideologically, but something that is very important to him financially as a radio host who makes money off of elderly people in Florida buying his gold and food buckets, mm-hmm. uh, which is the the Americana, the deep connection to America. It's the best. Love it or leave it. So he would, I, I think, never cross that line of saying, well, if you don't want to pay the taxes, you could just go file to live in, you know, X country or Y country, you know, move to Switzerland or, you know, whatever, uh, become Rupert Murdoch and buy part of Australia, whatever the fuck, yeah. right? He would never cross that line because that that makes it seem like he's saying America's not the best anymore, exactly. which he can't say. He cannot say that. But we mentioned this earlier. We get to it next. This is where we get that dodge or that, uh, that uh, uh, tip of the hand to the John Birch Society stuff, where we get a revisit of the ghost of Karl Marx. Yep, love uh, it. And Karl, Karl tells us, of course, that it's, you know, we have to abolish countries and nationalities, and we can't, we have to have international socialism, which Glenn follows up with in his own words. Translation, if socialists want to do away with capitalism, one of the first conditions is united action among the world's nations, or, more realistically, some kind of of global government. There you go. There it is. Ding, ding, ding. That's United it. Nations, baby. Yeah, and right. So that I think that two things there. One, it gives us a peek into why exactly because we've been talking about this when we talk about John Birch stuff. Why is the John Birch Society so against uh, the United Nations in particular? For one thing, right. And it is that right. They think that it's part of the slide into socialism. Mm-hmm. It's part of what it's part of the plan, right? That's why they're they're all about that. But also, again, I think it tells us that that, that Glenn is uh, much more involved in John Birch society thinking um, than uh, I don't want to say than we thought he was, but no. it confirms what we thought. Yeah, it confirms that what we knew. I think that he is very much into the John Birch society stuff. We get a uh, brain dump here on the side of the page. Socialist fun fact. And he says, once again, again, this is something that has been repeated. The difference between Nazis and Nazis and Soviets was the difference between national socialism and international socialism. Great stuff. And then follows that with, also, the Soviets killed more people. Cool. Ooh. Something you expect in a Pat Buchanan book. <laughs> yeah. Or, I mean, that's, that's some David Irving shit like ooh, again right uh, the z stands for socialism yeah like, like it's it's fucking stupid shit but he says quote more importantly societies and cultures around the world are different and he's talking about why international socialism won't work mm. not necessarily inferior he has to put that qualifier in there just different and in many cases what works for one group of people won't work for another people have naturally grouped together based on shared characteristics for a reason it's an inherent part of who we are, and we've all experienced. No, it's because we used to, it used to be really hard to travel around the world, and mm-hmm. now it's less yep. hard. That's not yep. what like English people didn't all go. Hmm, we seem the same. Let's go live on that uh-huh. island. Yep. Fucking ridiculous. Yep. But this is just just boilerplate racism. He continues. It's why some places feel like home and others don't. 
Cool. Global government, which is practically essential if the entire world is going to adopt socialist principles, defies the foundational concept and tries to force people to abide by the same philosophies, rules, and ideas, even though they don't uh, want to. Benedict, I don't know about you. All it requires well, is a global <laughs> tax system. We don't need a global government, just a, an agreed global system of taxation for corporations. Sure. Sure. And Benedict, I don't know about you, but I've never based whether or not I feel like I'm home on the local tax rates of no. the city that I'm living in. No, very That's much not. never really been, uh, but I'm sure for Glenn Beck, that is a huge concern. Um, but next from Professor Tweed, even with these problems, socialism is still a better system because under capitalism, the rich end up hoarding their wealth when that money could be put to use by the government, which is much better at managing wealth. And we just get the same old argument that, well, they're ju- they're actually investing it. So, you know, sure. no taxes, please? Yeah. That's what we get. It's it, Well, uh, you think they're hoarding. Yeah, they own 20 houses, and, and Betsy DeVos does have 13 yachts. But, you know, uh, they're not hoarding. Yeah. Not hoarding. And it's then investing. The, the, the waste reports are really weird. He was like, oh, Rand Paul said we waste, yes. like... What was it like? One point eight billion? Like that is not a lot of money yes. in the in the schemes Rand, of the government. <laughs> Rand Paul's waste report, and he goes back to again. This is something we've talked about before: the prime cuts reports by citizen citizens against government. Yeah, waste. which is we like social about. security and like keeping people alive. Right. But we went through that list. I, I had some selections yeah, from yeah, that yeah, list yeah, the, the last time that he talked about it, and I did write in my book at that point. We, we've already read this, editor, editor. Editor! Editor! I wrote it multiple times, so I just just hoping. But there was another thing here for me that was a little bit weird on the page before we get to that, which is when he starts talking about the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation mm. and how great Jeff Bezos and people are, it's weird because Glenn Beck despises Bill Gates. Glenn Beck thinks that the Gates Foundation is part of the global communist conspiracy. Yep. Absolutely. I have no doubt because we know he's a Glenn Bircher. Or, <laughs> he's a Glenn Bircher. Yep. He's a Glenn Bircher. Uh, he's a John Bircher. So we, and, and the John Birch Society, absolutely. The Bill Gates Foundation, every foundation, because they don't understand how foundation works. And this is a thing that also you, know, you see uh, uh, with uh, basically everyone on the right these days. When we get people, especially talking about like the Clinton Foundation, who think that the foundations are like a piggy bank and don't understand it all how it works and that you don't get to put your money in and then take Which it out. Of course the Trump want. foundation was that it was that it very much was that. Uh, and then right. There are problems with like monitoring various foundations and making sure that they're not doing that sort of thing that the Trump foundation very much did. Uh, but the, the Gates foundation to its credit, one of the single greatest philanthropic organizations in the world. Although has done now, now so much good. Completely eclipsed, by the way, by Mackenzie Bezos, who has just like given yes. eight billion away in like six months, which is yes. way, way better than anything anyone's ever done. And just shows yeah. how fucking um, pretentious all these people are doing. Oh, we've got to give away the money slowly. No, just give the money away to people that need it now. Shut the fuck well, up. Well, there. I think there's. Uh, to be fair, I actually think there's a benefit to having both types of people i'm sure but mackenzie bezos is because she's gonna give that money away and then there's no more money to give away and then the bill gates foundation is slowly over long periods of time giving away money to good causes and it's it doesn't matter it really doesn't matter but glenn hates bill and melinda gates foundation but he spends a whole paragraph talking about how great it is because of his underlying argument we've heard before that it should all just be charity we should just Mm -hmm. do charity no compulsory taxes they're forcing people you know 
what I said before about him thinking taxation is forcing someone to do things. Yep. Uh, whatever the fuck it is. So we get another tweet from Clay Guevara, and he says, quote, Okay, let's say government doesn't spend money efficiently. It doesn't matter. All that money eventually ends up in the hands of regular people, and that's a good thing. It's better that government give money to people for doing nothing or for working jobs that aren't needed than for wealthy people to have lots of cash sitting in their bank accounts. And this is where we get to yeah, this the is broken the weird, window yeah. fallacy. This is... Nobody gives a fuck no. about this example. No. This is so fucking dumb. This is just someone, uh, some conservative douche, tortuously trying to come up with this terrible example that they can use to describe their convoluted idea about how this shit works. And this is where, like, he starts using names like Sal Gore, Bernie Spanders, Alexander Ocasio Cortezio. Like, does he think those are puns? No, no, I just does think he know what I, a pun no, is. No, I just think he's being an idiot. Like, I just think he's like, oh, well, I won't call them out directly, but. Yeah, and the whole thing that he's arguing is, well, let's say we have a town and there's a guy who makes glass and, you know, his glass uh, uh, stops global warming. And so somebody goes around and breaks a bunch of windows in the town so people will have to buy this new glass that will uh, help be more green. And uh, he says, well, that's waste. Duh. Yeah. I, I don't... I don't get it. Well, he's like, I the, the argument from the progressives would be that it's stimulating the economy because people have to pay for the, the glass to be put in. That's the argument. Sure, man. What, like, what, when you really, whatever. when you look at the realities of any sort of programs, because this is simultaneously, right, anti-government regulation of housing codes and anti-anything green, right, at the same time. Yeah. When you look at, for example, all the states that actually have those things in their housing codes, it's A, when you do upgrades on the house, you have to put in the new upgraded stuff. You can't buy the old, right? You can't buy fucking single-pane windows anymore. You have to buy fucking dual-pane windows that are going to save energy and be more efficient, right? That kind of shit. Or B, when you're building a new house, it has to meet all these. In California, for example, yeah. New homes have to have solar panels on the roof, which is fantastic. The, none of those fit his stupid fucking examples. No. It's not at all what we're talking it's about. It's the simplest way of looking at things. Yeah. Uh, he has a quote from Paul Krugman, which he does not understand, uh, but he just labeled, it's an example for a reason. I don't know. I couldn't figure out what exactly he was trying to say with it. Well, the Paul Krugman's is, a famous Keynesian economist. E- yeah. E- yeah. Economist, and, and, and Nobel Prize arguing, winner. Yeah. <laughs> Which he acknowledges, but he's arguing yes. he's uh, he's arguing that Keynesian economics is bad somehow. Right. The quote is: If we discovered that space aliens were planning to attack, we needed a massive buildup to counter the space alien threat, and inflation and budget deficits took secondary place to that. This slump would be over in eighteen months. He doesn't tell me where that's from, and I didn't look it up in the uh, references. I have to imagine it's from the financial crisis. Yeah, it's a response to the Great Recession, and and, and is is a hundred percent true, by the way. If there, was, if there was a massive military-industrial push to get people to work and to combat this this huge existential threat, yeah. 100% true that that is the case. We Nobody, would, completely, we would no, get everyone back to work instantly if we wanted to. No Republican who argues that FDR did not solve the uh, uh, Great Depression, and in fact World War II did, can disagree with that yeah. statement. And remember, Glenn Beck argued that to us. Yeah, because he doesn't book. understand. <laughs> yes, yes. I fucking love that so much. He didn't understand he was kicking his own argument in the balls. Yep. It was great. Anyway, next tweet from Clay Guevara. 
Okay, but when most of the wealth is concentrated in the hands of a relatively small group of people, they become power-hungry, greedy, and they end up controlling society. And that's exact, exactly what happened in capitalist countries. We need to take that wealth away from them to spread power around. And this is where Glenn has walked into a swamp of not being able to make one clear argument one way or another because he has said that power is all about money and blah, blah, yeah. blah. He can't really disagree with that. So instead, he starts trashing Google and Facebook and YouTube for censorship. Yep. That's what he gets on to instead. Yep, yep, yep. And the, the last six pages of this pretty much, or the last ten pages, are, are all about a misunderstanding of Section 230, aren't they? I mean, it's it's essentially yeah, they are. Him, yep. Him, yep. Ar- him arguing that they are... They are publishers, and I mean, you can you can give your lawyer's view, but I can, uh, or uh, not quite qualified yet, lawyer's view. But I mean, the the point of Section Two Thirty is it makes the makes the web what we know it to be today. I mean, everything yes. would be very bland if absolutely if everyone was respond if if every website was responsible for what a random commenter posted and was legally liable for that, then the web would just be a very different thing to what it is today. And and fa- yes. Facebook and YouTube aren't publishers in any in the meaningful way that section 230 defines them as not publishers right i mean you uh, can, you well can i will, I will go no 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 i'll go further that and say that section 230 doesn't give a fuck about the word publishers that's true yeah, section yeah, 230 doesn't give a fuck that's literally just something ted cruz fucking came up with in a hearing and he thought would be a great argument and now the entire right has taken it up because none of them have bothered to fucking read section 230 section 230 doesn't give a fuck about what's a publisher and what's not a publisher that's just ted cruz's fucking argument yeah, uh, which, section- which falls down, by the way, because literally, like, you can comment on the New York Times' uh, webpage, and the New York Times is a publisher, exactly. um, yeah. but but they're not liable for what people say in the comments. Exactly. Exactly. It's about who is doing the speaking, right? In the case of Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, whatever, Facebook and Twitter, unless they're tweeting themselves, are not doing the speaking. They're not. It's the people who are putting the words up. That's what Section 230 is about. It's saying that uh, platforms like uh, you know everything on the internet these days are not liable for things that they don't say. It's the people who said they that they will employees, be liable. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, whereas in the case of New York Times, uh, say we're on the website, um, if the New York Times puts out an article, the New York Times is doing the speaking. That's why they can be held liable mm-hmm. if they're lying or if they're wrong or whatever the case might be. That's why. So, yeah, yeah it's just a, a terrible bullshit argument. And I think the biggest weird thing about all this for me is that Glenn most certainly should know that Facebook and YouTube are the best tools for right-wing radicalization that have ever existed. Mm -hmm. They are his best friend. But at the same time, his side at the current moment loves these arguments, so he has to keep propagating them. He has to keep arguing about them. And... He makes some really bad arguments against these. Co- there are great. There are plenty of great arguments against Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and all this stuff. There's plenty to be said about how they are terrible companies with terrible policies. We can all come up with a million off the top of their head. But he always goes to the worst ones imaginable. Yeah. Starting with, he says, "Quote." The worst kept secret in Silicon Valley is that most of America's tech giants are controlled by people who align closely with progressive or even socialist values. Extremely untrue. And and that many of those who don't agree with those beliefs are forced to either conform or get out. Skipping down a little bit. You you know, like Peter Thiel. In 2017. What? Like Peter Thiel. 
Yes, yes. In 2017, the problem allegedly got so bad at Google that employees were fired for criticizing the company's leadership team, which the employees said had created a culture of bias against conservatives. One of the ex-employees, James D'Amore, had written an internal memo. Okay, he lies about the James D'Amore story, right? Says, doesn't mention the full truth about what happened there. He didn't write an internal memo. He wrote a fucking manifesto mm. and sent it around unwarranted by anyone and then went on a whole fucking bullshit tour of right-wing media playing the victim. Yep. That's what happened with James fucking Amore. And then we get to the Heritage Foundation having one of its videos pulled from Facebook because it was uh, probably, and I haven't seen it, an anti-trans screed. Mm-hmm. They claim this video was about the dangers of puberty blockers. I'm pretty sure I know that that video was pretty fucking horrific. I haven't seen it, and I'm pretty sure I fucking know. Yeah. God damn it. And then, the last one we get... Well, there's plenty in here, but I'm not mentioning all of them. The last one I want to mention... Well, no. The second to last one I want to mention is fucking PragerU. Yeah, yeah. Yes! Our babes, our babies over there at PragerU, who apparently had their video about the Ten Commandments labeled inappropriate content for sensitive audiences. Okay. Uh, by the way, Bennett, I went and pulled up that video by searching for it. It's on YouTube. It's not uh, restricted in any way I can discern. Um, and uh, if it was, I can imagine it's because of their making arguments that murder can be justified in that video. Wow. It's not any specific video. I had to look up the lawsuit they filed. By the way, they lost that lawsuit. It was dismissed almost immediately. Cool. I had to look it up to find what actually video they're claiming was censored. Uh, it was one particular video. It was on the 6th. Uh, I wanted to say amendment, but no, the sixth commandment, which is don't, don't murder, whatever. The video is about people say it's don't kill, but actually it's don't murder, yep. right? That's fucking Dennis Prager's argument throughout that video. I have to imagine if it was restricted for children, That's like why. he claims here in this book, it's because maybe kids aren't prepared for those nuanced arguments about, uh, well, you know, it's okay it to murder, kill, but not to murder. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Why does it self-defense? I can imagine. Yeah. I can imagine that be, it might be part of it. But then, Benedict, the last one, the last one we're going to talk about, because it's, you know, it's apropos. It's relevant at the current moment. He yep. says, quote, for example, conservative commentator and comedian, by the way, who works for Glenn Beck, Stephen Crowder, whose videos have been, or does he work for Prager? I don't remember. Uh, does Crowder work for Prager or for I Blaze? I think he works for either. I, th I think he has his own thing. I don't remember, but anyway, whose videos have been viewed more than 800 million times on YouTube alone had his YouTube account demonetized after a writer for the left-wing publication Vox organized a campaign to have Crowder banned from the platform for making, scare quotes, homophobic jokes. I feel like it was this occurred. he him, wasn't it? I thought that was the... So he just says, you know, it was just homophobic jokes. In fact, it was a series of videos with a number of racist and homophobic comments about, uh, is it Carlos Maza? Was that the writer? Yeah, Carlos, Carlos Maza. Carlos writer for Vox, uh, who was then harassed by Crowder's fans because they're a bunch of shit weasels, who that's what they fucking do. And I believe yeah, doxed because, by some of his fans. Yeah, I think I think so. Um, I, I think, or his parents or some, something like yep. that. Um and then, uh, but but what we learned this week is that that uh, Stephen Crowder's fans will will justify anything, especially if it's not debating Sam Cedar. <laughs> I know. 
I know you. You were so excited when that happened. It was so. You texted me immediately, but it's so funny, and like it's lame (laughs) for me to like it this much. But it's so funny that like so basically, uh, Sam Cedar just appeared, like zoom bombed a debate he was having with someone else because Stephen Crowder has been avoiding him for years, and then uh, Stephen Crowder freaked out and uh, and accused the other guy of like. How did he uh, zoom bomb him? I never heard that part of the story. How did he get? Yeah. So the the guy invited him in. The guy. The oh, guy okay. from H three H three, Ethan, okay. whatever his name is, invited him because he's not a debater. And he was like, "I would like to see you debate him instead." And then he appeared, and like Stephen Crowder had been monitoring Sam Cedar's live stream to see if he was on it, so that he knew he was safe from, from being involved. <laughs> but they they did a fake they did a fake live stream so that oh, he that's could good. come in. That's yeah, so right? good. See? That's so good. Oh, it's so lame, but it's so funny. No, it was it was pretty funny. I I enjoyed. Uh, I don't see you. You also asked me this question of why I don't listen to the majority report, and I still hold by my original answer, which is I don't have time for a daily, I don't, I, multiple like, I don't hour long every show. Every day, you don't have to do that. No, but I, I do because like... I am a completionist. I have to okay. listen. I can't but miss episodes. I just can't do that. It's, it, okay. it doesn't work for my brain. So it just that that's my main hold up on it. But anyways, we get back to our book. We get a brain dump on the next page, which is titled. And this is, again, another aim at YouTube and all them. An algorithm mistake or election meddling. And in this... The, the former. Definitely the former. Definitely the former. Uh, in this, he claims that Tulsi Gabbard, she was doing so well in the Democratic primaries that Google stepped in to pr- prevent her from getting above From them. advertising against it. Yeah, that's it. That's it. By the way, Tulsi Gabbard... He says, quote, her staunch anti-war message resonated with potential voters. In an attempt to capitalize on this flood of interest, the Gabbard campaign began promoting Tulsi with online advert. I don't think she ever even got above 6% in no, anything. No, I, don't, I, I don't think it was even that high. No, I, I don't think it was even that high. She never had a chance in hot hell at doing anything. This was absolutely, if there was anything there, it was a fucking mistake. Uh, his last yeah. line of it is that she filed a lawsuit against Google. Um that lawsuit was dismissed a month before this book came out. So right. I'm on the fence of saying, did he intentionally leave off the fact that it was dismissed or just not care to update the Probably book before care. the final publishing? Probably eh. not care. I yeah, it's hard to say on that one. I don't really know. But again, we get all the stuff about Section 230 where they're just lying about what it means, going with the Ted Cruz yep, line bullshit. about it. And then we get to the very end. And, you know, it's all, uh, you know, he's, he's he doesn't want to close down Facebook and Google. He just wants them to play by the same rules as everybody else. He wants enforcement of government regulations in the way that he interprets them. (laughs) Wrongly, by the way. So, yeah, yeah, he's just a good old libertarian boy. But I will always, as I do, read the final paragraph in its entirety. And it is, quote, Socialism doesn't need to work in large part because people are motivated by competition and rewards, but also because when human beings are given massive amounts of power over others, history has shown that they, acting in accordance with their nature, typically abuse that power. And there are millions of dead bodies around the world that prove it. Holy shit, that was all one sentence. Yeah. How was that all one sentence? I could hear you running out of breath. Comma, (laughs) comma, M dash, comma. What the fuck are you doing to me? Jesus. Please edit. Edit. We've cried for an editor for Glenn so many times. But there's one more sentence. There's one more sentence. I know you've heard this a million times, but get ready for a million and one. Power tends to corrupt, and absolute power 
corrupts absolutely. End! Right. Of ch- and he even put end of chapter seven. So this isn't me saying end of chapter seven. This is me reading. He quoting. always does that. And he I know, but I've never quoted it before. I've always just mm-hmm. said end of chapter blank. This I time I'm quoting from him end of chapter seven of Arguing with Socialists by Glenn Beck because that's what I do. Because I quote uh-huh. from books. I uh-huh. do things like that. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It's Benedict, as I always like to do and as you always hate. Could you give me a thesis? What that chapter exactly was about? Uh, yeah, it's, I should be allowed to be a prick if I want to. And I do. <laughs> and more so, I think uh, that uh, everyone should be good. But if they don't, uh. That's their right. Yeah. I mean, whatever. Uh, we're not going to solve any problems, so. Who cares? Eh, yeah. You know, we'll, we'll just, eh. We'll just meh. Eh, get over it. Eh, we'll do what we do. We'll do what we do. But anyways, thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. We went a little long today. That's a little bit of my, uh, you know, making up for not being around last week, not having a brand new episode for everybody. And, you know, Benedict, he suffers through when I tell him to. What's he going to do? Hang up on me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. I could, but I won't. <laughs> if you could, remember, if you just can't get enough of us, you can go over to patreon.com forward slash NYGBC, where, of course, we have our brand new patron-only bonus episode for this month, which was a new chapter of our book review of None Dare Call It Conspiracy by Gary Allen and Larry Abraham. And I have to say, we did a lot more in-depth on the uh, Fed conspiracy than we did on the uh, interstitial chapter last time we did it. Because mm. uh, I just I had to hold that's out. Good fun. I had to hold out fun. for the patron only because that's where we really got into it deep because that's what that chapter was all about. Uh but you can become a patron. Little $2 an episode. Patron-only episode. Shout-outs on the show. Drawings to win our copies of the books we read and more. As always, we have to give a shout-out to our wonderful and amazing patrons. Benjamin Carlisle, Dexter, Allison, C. David, Megan Ruth, Glowrung the Deceiver, Big Easy Blasphemy, Becky Scott Fairley, Stephen and Cindy Dimmick, A.J. Brantley, Taro Tacanon, Skeptical Seventh, and Andrew Jenko. Thank you all, as always, for being our patrons. That's it for this week's show. Till next time, Google Gobble, one of us. Google Gobble, one of us. Goodbye. Book Club Podcast is a production of Kevin and Benedict Productions. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved. Music for this podcast is by Silverman Sound Studios. Find out more at silvermansound.com.